Welcome to the latest ATP podcast. This week, we are at the City Open in Washington. I'm Brian Clark, and over the course of the show, we'll hear from the former American star James Blake. Nick Kyrgios will speak about why he's so focused on entertaining fans. We'll find out what Kane Shikori does to relax away from the court. And the young Italian star Yannick Sinner tells us how he's able to keep so calm in pressure situations. But first, delighted to say that we've got a guest for this week's episode. It's a former player. He got up to 31 in the world. You've heard him commentating all over the world. He's with Tennis Channel here in the U.S. It's Leif Shiras. Hey, Leif. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, and uh, glad to be a part of it. Great to see you again, Brian. So this week in Washington, we've been working together on site, and returns were kind of the theme. This tournament didn't happen last year because of the pandemic. We've got a 2021 tournament. We've got a full complement of fans, and we've got Rafael Nadal on U.S. soil for the first time since he won the U.S. Open in 2019. Let's start with the fans. Just what kind of shot in the arm does it give these players when they're playing in front of packed houses? It's the, it's the best thing that players could have ever asked for. I mean, all of us, I think, in general, are more comfortable playing in front of crowds. There's recognition of each little achievement, recognition of the drama that's unfolding before their eyes. And I think, again, as a player, you walk down that tunnel and to step out on a court with you know, thousands of people there, even if it's a small crowd, there's energy there. And um, for a long time, players have had to dig that energy from deep inside. Instead, now they can get a little bit of it from the crowd. They have someone to play for other than just themselves. So I, I think it, it makes the tennis better. And we've seen that in the quality of play in Washington. I really feel there's been some fabulous tennis. And it just makes for better theater, better drama, and better sport. Uh, so normal. Never felt this good. Energy is always going to be there when Rafael Nadal's on the court. So it was kind of going hand in hand. Everybody was excited to be back at this tournament. But once they announced that Rafael Nadal was coming here to a tournament where he had never played, that's not really something we see Nadal do much these days. The interest level here in D.C. just went absolutely through the roof. What did you think of seeing Rafa again? Rafa's great. He's, you know, when I say one of the best, I mean that in every way. You know, he's a great guy, great ambassador for the sport, great ambassador for Spain. What can you say? He brings to the court such special qualities. The match he played with Jack Sock, I mean, I, I felt it was one of the best matches I'd seen since Rafa played Novak at Roland Garros. I mean, it was that kind of drama, that kind of intensity. The crowd was plugged in. And that's where that synergy between crowd and players is, is so remarkable. And one thing why we love sport and, and why we've wrapped our life around it. It's something really special, um, what he does. And, you know, you can only begin to admire him more and more. I mean, when he first came on the tour, I thought he was a bit of a grinder, uh, maybe a little unimaginative. Great physical specimen, brilliant mind. But now he's an all-round player. He does everything on the court. He volleys, he drops shots, he comes in, he uses all parts of the court. So he's really fun to watch as a player. And we know, you know, how well he concentrates. It's every point. And um, good news for Jack Sock. I thought Jack Sock played well in his return too. So it was a win-win, I suppose, for everyone. Great to see Rafa back. We'll talk more about Jack Sock in a moment, but Rafa's run ended a, a bit shorter than I think he would have liked when he was beaten by Lloyd Harris. It's been a nice year for the South African. Got to that final uh, as a qualifier a few months ago in Dubai. He talked afterwards, though, about staying in the moment for the biggest win of his life. Today was really special. I think if you know, I think I've had some big wins in the. In this year, I beat some Grand Slam champions, but to uh, beat a 20-time Grand Slam champion, and especially in front of a full crowd and with such an amazing atmosphere, it was definitely something very special. 
Uh, to be honest, uh, tennis-wise, I did a lot of good things. I think the best thing was to stay in the moment, keep my composure, and just try and, you know, I think I just stayed with my game and stayed playing the consistently good level um, throughout the match. For sure, as a tennis, from a tennis aspect, I did a lot of good things, and it was a, a good quality match, I think. Um, not easy for me out there. It was It was pretty physical, but all in all, I'm just super happy with how everything turned out. So you're Lloyd Harris, and you come out, you beat Rafael Nadal. You're on the verge of beating Rafael Nadal. It sounds a lot easier said than done to say, okay, stay in the moment, Lloyd. How do you do that? <laughs> you know, I think you have to, you know, sort of percolate it down to the basics, trying to do what you do well. And for Harris, he was serving really well. I mean, he was serving big. He's a six-foot-four-inch athlete, and when he gets it going, you know, he's tough to stop. I think he's got a tremendous upside. I think the fact that Xavier Melis has been working with him, he had a lot of good ideas about what he wanted to do when he came out on the court. He was playing with power. He was trying to dictate where he could against Rafa, forcing Rafa to defend. And I think he just tried to do those same things when he came down the stretch. He had a couple of big first serves that helped him get through those final moments. So I was really happy for him because he's another you know good guy out there. And uh, he's on his journey, and he seems like he's just taken off. I know his ranking will be at a career high. And uh, with his size, his talents, seems like a very good young man. He's, he's going to go places. It was tough to be a, a top seed here. Rafa Nadal lost to Lloyd Harris. The second seed, Felix Auger-Aliassime, was beaten by Jensen Brooksby. This tournament, in many ways, feels like the, the big-time arrival of Jensen Brooksby. He just got to his first ATP final in Newport. He has been dominant at the challenger level this year. He's got three titles. This guy has become the revelation. We saw Andy Murray's tweet comparing him to Florian Meyer with some of his <laughs> tactics. But it's a game that you know, Francis Tiafo called super unorthodox. What about the Brooksby game is so different? You know, you watch him play, and he seems like a good, strong baseliner. Yet then he plays some of these funky drop shots with the two hands. He comes in and has a two-handed volley, a lot like the German Florian Meyer. Right on, Andy. You got that one right. And he seems to defends super well so he has a little bit of Andy Murray in him uh, and when he says high IQ I think Andy has one of those too so he sees a like-minded spirit in this young man uh, out of Sacramento California he's got a good family behind him a really good coach in Joe Gilbert who has an academy in Sacramento and has, has handled him for the last 15 years so when I talk to JT as he's known Jensen Tyler Brooks we get used to that name JT because we're going to hear it a lot over the next 10-15 years He's probably going to make a lot of money, too. I think he's going to do very, very well. But um, the fact that he can defend so well, absorb pressure, then suddenly turn the tables, and also surprise people. I think he keeps people off balance, puts them in awkward positions. He's got this funky underspin two-handed backhand that stays low. I mean, I thought a little bit about Miloslav Metchir, the Czech player back in the 80s, you know, a little different area, yes, but also how he was able to put other players off balance with his sort of quirky game style. But um, it's going to be fun to watch this young man's journey. He seems like a wonderful kid, and boy, he's got some talent. And He's still sort of in that embryonic phase, though, admittedly. I mean, his serve's going to need some work. His overhead is, by the ATP standards, probably poor, but he's going to grow as a player. And I think he'll need a little more polish in the front court, but boy, the sky's the limit for this guy. 
turns 21 in October. He is the lowest-ranked semifinalist here since John Isner 14 years ago in 2007 when Isner had just come out of the University of Georgia. Semifinal opponent for Brooksby, Yannick Sinner, and he's the guy that so much is expected, and he's delivered. Of course, he won the ATP Next Gen in Milan in 2019, his first ATP title the end of 2020, another one this year. And it's hard to imagine that he still is not 20 years old. He looks and sounds wise beyond his years. Yeah, you know, again, he has a good family, like young Jensen Brooksby, and I feel like Sinner has that same kind of thing. You know, he's learned the respect for hard work from his mom and dad, and I think he has that same application. He's very calm in the head, which is a really nice quality to have, and you, you notice that when he talks to the press. He's comfortable in his own skin and... Um, and, and fairly articulate and, and smart. He seems to have, as you said, a little bit of wisdom for someone so young. So, uh, I, again, I think the sky's the limit for this guy, too. You know, he also possesses remarkable talents on court. So he's got a really nice balance uh, off court, on court, mental. I think he's got a growing physical presence, getting a hold of his sort of six foot two inch thin frame. I think he's going to get that right. You know, that's part of the development of an athlete. But, you know. He's already done great things, and he's, what, he's going to turn 20? Jeez, these guys are getting old. (laughs) (laughs) A little insight just about how much of a student of the game he is. That match, Leaf and I talked about how Nadal played Jack Sock, and it was a thriller. Place was packed. Where Leaf and I are are doing some work here on site for the tournament, we're in an elevated position. And during that match, I I see a guy sitting on the steps to our (laughs) our position, and I realize the guy sitting on the steps just taking in the match like a fan with a ticket is Yannick Sinner. I mean, that's where he is right now, 19 years old. He is soaking it all up like a sponge. That says a little bit more about him. Yeah, and uh, Ricardo Piatti, his coach, has said, you know, he's in this long process of development. And part of it is, you know, watching the best players, seeing what players do and learning from them. And he did the same thing in Atlanta. He was watching matches where he could. I know he watched uh, Nikurios' tennis. So he's out there soaking it up. Won the doubles, of course, in Atlanta with Riley Opelka, his first ATP doubles titles, playing doubles here with Sebastian Corda. And he also spoke with our reporter, Anne-Marie Batson, to kind of explain how he's dealing with all the attention he's getting as he climbs the rankings and goes deep into some of these bigger, bigger tournaments. Well, you know, it's uh, in one way very nice, you know, having fans behind you who are pushing uh, you uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's uh, depending on myself, uh, on what I want to do and what I want to reach, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's all about pushing myself to to the limit on every on every part of my game, mental, physically, and uh, and also tennis-wise. So you know, I'm very focused about myself, and uh, obviously, it's nice to have some fans behind me. Because you're so calm, Yannick. Where does that come from? Yeah, I'm trying to stay calm. It's, uh, <laughs> sometimes it goes on, on the nerves as well. But uh, Is it conversations in your head? There are some, obviously. I think every player has them and uh, have some pressure pressure moments on every match. But, you know, trying to don't show that to the other, uh, to the opponent. And, you know, I think this comes from my parents, I would say. You know, they have... Uh, very simple jobs um, you know uh, they have a lot of respect of their work they do and uh, a lot of a lot of respect to every people they they talk to and see um, so I would say this is thanks for them and I'm very happy uh, that I that I have this kind of uh, 
mentality what what they gave me because you're a very good skier as well can i just say i can ski but i can do like easy reds <laughs> and that's how far i can take it because then i get scared so from your point of view i mean there's nothing scarier than hurtling down a mountain and pushing yourself to to the edge do you think you transfer what you learn from skiing into your tennis game I think, I think, you know, skiing and tennis are two different sports, obviously. Um, on our parts, it's pretty normal to ski. Uh, everyone knows how to ski. And, uh, you know, I'm, at some point I was a little bit scared, you know, to ride down the the big slopes and uh it freaked me out the first time uh, I did it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy and, uh, you know... Um, it is different because at the end of the day you play tennis, nothing can happen, obviously, you know, you can twist your ankle or, uh, but you don't risk your own life, you know, in skiing it's like if, if you really go down fast, uh, everything can happen and maybe if something goes wrong, uh, you're going to risk. Um, so, you know, this is, uh, makes me feel always, you know, quite comfortable on court, you know, uh, the only bad thing obviously I do whatever I can to don't do that but it's losing and uh, I try every every solution to win and obviously somehow trying trying to win the game and uh, at the end of the day nothing can happen. How much has your mentor Piatti how much has he played a part in helping you develop your character develop your playing style? Well, you know, obviously, I think Ricardo, everyone knows how good he is. Uh, um, you know, he has a lot of experience uh, now. Um, he had Novak when on that age where I am right now, which helps me a lot. You know, sometimes he tells me uh, stories about every player he had a little bit. So, you know, it's, uh, it's good and this kind of things makes me grow. Uh, for sure and uh, yeah I'm very happy that I have the chance and I'm very honored to uh, yeah to work with him and you know all all the all the team together you know which is you know we are obviously working together but we are uh, big big friends and uh, it's kind of family you know when we work together and travel together so it's very nice yeah do your family and Piatti and your friends allow you to think that you can reach the top of the game no, I think it takes time, you know, every step, you know, has his, uh, yeah, his story, his, uh, it takes time, you know, it's uh, not that you're going to reach the top uh, in uh, in a few months or in a few years, you know, it takes time and uh, um, honestly, I don't think right now about that, you know, as I said, I want to take uh, to give 100% what I have and then we will see what's uh, what's happening. Um, obviously, you know, there are goals you want to achieve, there are goals you you want to, yeah, you want to do them, uh, but it doesn't mean that you, uh, you are going to do that. Uh, obviously, you have to have a lot of self-belief, uh, the team around you has to push you in the right way and... I have that and obviously I know where my goal is, uh, where I want to go, but then we'll see what's uh, what's happening. Because you've had so much in your life already. I'm going to reel off a list for you. You played Nadal at Roland Garros. You lost to Hercats in the Miami final. You've played Novak Djokovic, Rublev, Tsitsipas. I mean, there's so much you've done already and yet you're just so relaxed about it all. I, um, how do you measure yourself against those players? You know, these are kind of matches where you are really looking forward to, you know, at the end of the day you practice for these matches, you practice for, um, 
yeah, to have a chance to win against them and, you know, uh, to go to that point, you have to win against other players, you know, which is uh, top 20 players, top 30 players, which are very, very tricky. And, uh, you know, um, at the end of the day, you know, when you win against one thirty of top 40, it seems normal, but, you know, it's not that easy. It's uh, very, very tough um, to win every match on tour. and. Obviously, when you play against the top guys, um, you have to, to to take every chance you have in every in every point or in every set or in every game. So um, I'm just trying to do that, seeing what really I can improve. Um, because I think when you play against them, you really can see that, and then you go back on practice courts and trying to uh, yeah to to practice every every single thing. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Here with Leif Shires on the ATP Radio Podcast. And Leif, we're talking all about these young guys who are coming out of nowhere. Somebody who has been through the battles before. The only player who was really left deep in this tournament who's been to a major final, won an Olympic medal, won this tournament, the City Open, that's Kei Nishikori. His draw was really helped by Lloyd Harris beating Rafa Nadal, but Kei's going pretty well right now. Kei looks great, and, you know, hearing him in the press, he was, you know, talking about how this is the best I've felt in a couple of years, you know, so and he's had some struggles where he hasn't gotten the results he's wanted, but now he's moving freely, and, and that's a big thing as a tennis player, to be able to run freely without feeling, you know, you're going to get injured or you're sore, and boy, his ground strokes look like, you know, vintage, okay, can I say that? I mean, he's pretty young by ATP standards these days in, in his early 30s, but he's got so much experience and so much confidence, the and now that he's back healthy, back striking the ball like a dream, I and mean, you know he's always been one of the great ball strikers in our game. So um, look for him to be dangerous because you watched him in his matches here. He's also volleying well. You know his ability to come in at the right times. He's not afraid of the net. And I think there was a time maybe where he wasn't comfortable with that. And now I'd say, like many of these guys, as they develop over the course of many years, they're all court players now. They can do it all, and he's one of those guys. Coming off a quarterfinal appearance at the Olympics on home soil in Tokyo, we know how much that event meant to him. Of course, the shame that it's the Olympics under different circumstances than what he would have envisioned. But we know how well that partnership has worked with Michael Chang. It's been fun this week to see Michael Chang's daughter here in, in the box courtside working on Team K. Also has Max Mirny on the team. He's a former gold medal winner, a great doubles player uh, from a few years back. And K actually spent some time with the ATP Uncovered team answering some rather unconventional questions. So these are fan questions from Twitter. So the first one is, what have you been doing during quarantine? So I watch a lot of movies. What was one of your favorites? I watch, I've been watching many documentaries now. I watch a little bit like creepy ones, but. Uh... <laughs> have you had any training changes recently that have helped improve your game? I started walking with Max recently. He um, doesn't speak much, but he does a lot. <laughs> but he tells me good good things, you know, to, to how I should come in a little more and uh, playing aggressive and of course uh, also serve too. He's very disciplined the, from the serve, you know, he's very good coming in. That's nice, foot down, body weight forward. I'm not trying to come in every time, but 
it's been taking some time, but uh, I think I'm getting used to it now, so I'm, I'm feeling good now. Who was your inspiration when you wanted to become a tennis player? Um, Roger. Out of nowhere, Federer turns it up to 11. Why Roger? Anything specific or...? Just, just fun to watch. Of course, he's a great player, but also same time, uh, very fun to watch. There's not too many players I get excited to watch, but he's one of the best. You know, he makes great shots that you know nobody can do, and just fun to watch. What's your favorite match over the year? I really remember that I played David Feller first time. Uh, I think it was 2008 US Open. I was really young, 18, and. I think he was top 10 that time, and I beat him for uh, five sets. It was one of the emotional match uh, for me, because especially I was young. What is your best advice to a young player who wants to become a tennis player? Well, maybe I think every job is the same, but you have to have, you know, good commitment. You have to know that it's not going to be easy, and you got to work hard. So. You know, tennis, it's, it's really fun, uh, fun to play, and you get a lot of excitement on the court. And if you become good, you know, you can play with, you know, 10,000 people or maybe maybe more. Um, there's many fun things that are waiting. Thanks. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I leave. Kenny Shikori, one of the biggest stars in world sport, let alone the ATP in tennis. Two guys who've been a little bit more under the radar for different reasons. Mackenzie McDonald, he was a college star here in the U.S., had that really devastating hamstring injury at the French Open in 2019. So he was off the tour for a while. He's back, healthy, going well. He's got that different kind of counter-punching game. And then Jack Sock, who we talked about earlier, we know his accomplishments. Such a great doubles player. He's, he's won multiple Grand Slams uh, with partners, won the Rolex Paris Masters, got to the ATP Finals, but then injuries and that long slide from the top 10. Two very different routes back to the top, but it just goes to show you the difficulty of getting back to where you were before those injuries. Yeah, and it's, it's again, magnifies how different everyone's journey is as a professional athlete, as a professional tennis player. I mean, I'm so happy for Mackie McDonald, you know, great guy, a lovely guy, coming out of college, turned pro after, you know, winning the NCAA 2As at UCLA. And... He's one of the cleanest ball strikers you can find out there. And I think he's added a few miles per hour to his forehand. So he's got some growing weaponry from the back. He's a wonderful athlete, moves super well. And he's also trying to become more of an all-court player. And I think that's important, even if it only means, you know, two or three touches at the net at the right times. I mean, that's what it can come down to with how close all these guys are. So it's, it's great to see him doing so well. He deserves it. You know, hardworking guy. And... Uh, I think genuinely he's got a future. And the cool thing with Jack Sock, because these are two different journeys, so Mackie McDonald was just starting to scratch the surface when the injury really came. He was playing his best ball and had that devastating injury playing doubles at the French Open. Jack Sock had been, not to the tippy top, but hey, top 10 player, ATP finals, that is the top. And to have that fall that was precipitated by the thumb injury and everything that came with it, but to put in the hard yards and the hard work. He just won a challenger in Little Rock. He's got a coach, Alex Bogomolov Jr., who played that grinding, grinding style to 
some success a decade, decade and a half ago. It's cool to see Jack embracing what it's taking to get back towards where he thinks he belongs. Yeah, and I think that's a key. I mean, one of the keys throughout our conversation is that coaching matters here. You can see all these guys we're talking about have significant teams around them making good decisions and helping them along the way. Same with Jack Sock. Bogomolov's a nice mix. Sock looked great. He looked healthy. I think he's really happy off court. And that is so important for tennis players. Newly married, living in Charlotte. I mean, these are are important things to make your life balanced and meaningful. It's interesting. I was looking at American tennis, and I look at Isner, Query, Johnson, and Sock. It's kind of the veteran guys. Great to see Sock coming back. Then you've got Fritz, Opelka, Tiafo, Tommy Paul, and Mackie McDonald. I mean, that's another group of guys. And now you've got Nakashima, Korda, and Brooksby. I mean, we've got some interesting layers of American tennis. I think Sock's going to make some big contributions there. We've seen Mackie do that already. But some of the young guys are going to be pressing some of the guys established like Sock. And that competitive friction can really mean a lot for getting players getting better and doing big things in the game. Washington back here after a year off. The defending champion this year was Nick Kyrgios. That was his last ATP title. He's back, and of course that provided an opportunity to relive just how thrilling his run to the title two years ago was. Two championship points for Kyrgios. Gets his racket to sway backwards and forwards. Serves out wide, clean ace, and then he falls to the floor. Nick Kyrgios is the winner of the City Open in Washington. He then leaps up, roars to the corner of the crowd, shakes his opponent's hand, is gracious, as is Daniel Medvedev in defeat, and Nick Kyrgios is the champion. What an extraordinary week it has been for the Australian. I want to give people an experience rather than just a tennis match. You know, I definitely feel at home playing throughout the States, you know, whether it's Atlanta, Washington, any of that. But that week was, for me, such a such a good journey. The fans absolutely love tennis in the States. I feel like they want to get involved. But man, it was that was one of my favorite weeks, you know, of my life. It's been a really positive start this from Kyrgios. Fans for me are the reason why I play. I love to entertain. I feel like it's all a show. Look, it's Nick Kyrgios bringing him the shoes. Oh, you've seen it all. Not just me going out there hitting good forehands, hitting good backhands. It's about making everyone in that crowd feel feel as if they're in the match as well. Game seven. And there we go. Well, he asked someone in the crowd, where should I serve this one? <laughs> and clearly, that was the right answer. I feel like I'm in the moment type of guys. I feel like that's how you get the crowd involved. Like, they're maybe not ever going to be able to play that level one day, but they're watching it, and to make them feel involved, you ask them, all right, where do you, where do you think you want me to serve? Like, where would you serve if you're in this moment? And I think he's going to try the trick that worked for him in the quarterfinal yesterday. What a match. There's nothing to explain. <laughs> we ride the roller coaster. It's kind of like the finale, you know? Like, all right, who, who's the lucky fan to tell me where to serve on match point? And is he going to ask someone in the crowd where he should serve? We've seen it the last couple of matches. And I feel if it works, that's the memory they're going to keep for life. You know, I think if 
you look on YouTube and you watch the match points against Tsitsipas and against Medvedev, like just walk to a random fan telling me where to serve against one of the best players in the world and it works, that's pretty cool. He's got the orders. <laughs> There we go. Nick Kyrgios is the leading man in Washington, D.C. The Australian has been putting on a show all week here in the capital. And he is leaving with the silverware. Go to watch an NBA game where you go to watch any sport you are hoping that you do to interact with one of the players. You, you want LeBron to throw you the ball or something like that. So if you remember Kyrgios coming to you and, and asking you where to serve on match point or hitting a ball to you or talking to you, you remember, you remember those things for life. And I think that's what I, I want to give people an experience rather than just a tennis match. Nick Kyrgios, though, beaten in his first round by Mackie McDonald, who we were just talking about. Played doubles here with Francis Tiafo. We hadn't seen Nick for a while with the pandemic. He was in Australia, came out at Wimbledon, and gave the full Nick Kyrgios experience. Beat a, a player who was going really well in Ugo Umber before he unfortunately had to retire against Felix Auger-Aliassime. Played mixed doubles with Venus Williams because these are things he enjoys doing and wants to do. He gets criticized at times for maybe not taking the actual results, the actual tennis seriously enough. But here's a question. Is he right just to be like, I'm playing a game, I'm in the entertainment business, I'm entertaining people, I'm having fun. Is that the right way to approach it? Yeah, I think these are all good, good questions. You know, tennis is entertainment, sport is entertainment. The problem with tennis is, you know, there has to be a certain level of achievement for you to hang around in the sport. It is a meritocracy, so you've got to be out there getting wins and you know, earning ranking points, maintaining your ranking. So it's tough out there. And you'd hate to think that he was shortchanging himself or the sport by not giving it his best all the time. Having said that, we've talked about coaching, how important that is. You know, I feel like he could use a little bit of a good influence. You know, what yeah, Tony Roach or could you imagine what it might be like with Darren Cahill beside him or someone like that who had sort of that motivation, the dedication to, you know, spur his player onto more. Or would he bristle against that kind of influence? So these are all questions that I think he should look at and, and say, okay, how can I improve myself? How am I getting better today? And if it's not as a tennis player, it's as a person. And if he's getting better as a person, perhaps he might improve as a tennis player too. So, you know, I think these are some of the challenges emotionally that players face. And Nick has his own journey. Each player's got their own. That's one of the many things that makes this sport so unique. And the journey for many of these players now heads north of the border, our border here in the U.S. to Toronto. It's the National Bank Open presented by Rogers. It's back-to-back -back Masters 1000 events. Leaf, you used to live in Toronto, right? Yeah, I still have a place up there. My wife is uh, from Toronto, so I'm an honorary Canadian. <laughs> so what does it mean just to have this tournament back after a year off. Yeah, but no, they've well, had a several years because of the, the alternating format. It's been several years since the ATP was in Toronto. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's got a very vibrant tennis scene there. Lots of tennis clubs, very competitive uh, players and community. And so when they have this week of tennis, it's big time. You know, they really embrace it. So I think it's going to be great for the community. And they've been, you know, trapped in a lockdown that's just opening now. A lot of protocols for the players. It's been difficult for them to get you know, the people they want, their friends and family and coaches in because of some of these uh, limitations on them. So it hasn't been an easy week. Some we've had a few pullouts, unfortunately, but I think it's still going to be a fabulous week of tennis. It's, it's a great event. Um, you know, 
Let's hope that they can you know, sort of receive it in the way they want to and that they're allowed to by government restrictions. I'm interested to see a couple of the big names now heading over here for the first time. Daniil Medvedev back on U.S. hard courts where 2019 that launched him into the stratosphere, what he did when he got to the final in Montreal, won Cincinnati U.S. Open final. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas had that epic run at the French Open. We know what happened in the final tough at Wimbledon, nice run at the Olympics, but where is this now in the season? Is this kind of a, a reset point for some of these top players? I think it is. You know, I think, you know, we've gone through the clay court season, which is a long one, you know, seven, eight weeks of clay. The grass season's short, but it's intense, and there's a lot of pressure to perform on a surface not everyone's familiar with. Now you can get onto the hard courts, and you've got a bit of a stretch run as we get to the U.S. Open, so yes, this is a huge reset for a lot of the guys. You know, Someone like Denis Shapovalov. I feel like he's one of the guys who could make a deep run. I know his buddy Felix Auger-Aliassime is maybe struggling a little bit right now, but he'll be on home soil. I think the Canadians are going to make some moves. Sad to hear that Milos Raonic won't be aboard, but I still think it's going to be a great field, and watch out for the Canadians. It'll be really cool to see the reception Denis Shapovalov gets after that run to the semifinals at Wimbledon. A player who has just such an explosive game playing in his backyard, he has the flair, <laughs> and this seems like the moment that Dennis gets up for. Yeah, and this is where, you know, sort of Dennis Shapovalov was born when he beat Rafa Nadal in uh, Montreal. I remember Wayne Gretzky, wife Janet, sitting in the front row, you know, Canadian royalty looking on as the next Canadian royal was knighted. I mean, it was a really special moment, and being a part of that, uh, you never forget that energy in the crowd. And let's hope that we can have those similar moments with a good, healthy crowd uh, and, and performances like that. I'm not sure Wayne Gretzky will be in attendance, but I, I know Wayne is a big fan of Dennis, and he's a great fan of uh, uh, tennis and Dennis in general. So uh, uh, looking forward to that week. Yeah, the event, it was canceled last year because of the pandemic, and it wasn't a certainty it would go forward this year, but here we go. And in our buildup, Chris Bowers chatting with a man who knows full well about the trials and tribulations of putting on a world-class event amid a pandemic. It's former player James Blake. He's the tournament director of the Miami Open, and he was able to look back with a healthy degree of pride on how the first Masters 1000 tournament of the year went back in the spring. Yeah, it was very strange, but I look at it as a success because we weren't really sure if we were going to be able to have it at all. So to have it at all was the, the first start, first step of it being a success. And then moving from there, I felt like we had a great event. There were so few hurdles that we hadn't accounted for. Um, we figured there was going to be something that we, we wouldn't account for because it was so new with all the testing going on, the COVID protocols, um, the bubble for the players, not building the center court. So there was a lot going on that was very different and only about 20% of the fans allowed in. Um, but those 20% seemed like they had a great time. Um, I got a lot of positive reviews from fans. I got a lot of positive reviews from the players. I'm not sure they're going to want us to put the center court back next year because they got to have that whole field for themselves with no uh, no interruptions and get to use it to play a lot of games of uh, soccer. So um, I think the players really enjoyed it. And, you know, they, they were in a sense in a situation where they, they feel like they were in a lot of bubbles and they had to be in a bubble. But they felt like that one was at least a, a fair one, and a pretty good one. And we did everything we could to make it as uh, as enjoyable as possible. Do you think that when we look back on this period, assuming we get back to a form of normality in two or three years' time, that there will be an asterisk alongside the tournaments this year? Or do you think that people will just say, no, every year is a bit different, and this one was um, 
totally legitimate. Yeah, if there is an asterisk, I would actually say it's um, it's a credit to those that did accomplish what they've accomplished in the in the last year or so because it's so hard mentally, in my opinion, to get um, to get as excited when there's no fans or so few fans because you really need to uh, bring all that emotion, all that incentive from from within, and you you don't have the artificial um, adrenaline rush or the artificial um, incentive of of fans and the instant gratification of them letting you know how great that shot you just hit or how much they're supporting you uh, get you turned around when you're not playing so well so I think it's really impressive what what players have done in the bubble life in in the situation um, but I think it's um, you know I think every year is different but this one is is pretty extreme as a tournament director in North America you are competing in a very very crowded sporting marketplace with mm-hmm. lots of other sports that uh, yeah you know, have a bigger place in the American heart than tennis. Mm-hmm. To what extent is it important for you and tournament directors in Cincy and elsewhere to have this young generation of American men do well? Well, I think just we need to support the the, um, the sport in general because, like you said, there is competition. We're usually going in, in March against um, one of the bigger events in, in the American calendar, March Madness, um, for, for the college basketball season, the end of the college basketball season. So um, the competition is there. The competition isn't against these other tennis tournaments. So we need to make sure that we're, we're doing what's best for the entire sport. Um, young stars that are doing well in Cincinnati or Indian Wells or, um, or any, any event throughout the year, uh, we need to we need to build them up. We need to let them we need to have whole new generations of stars. We can still honor and, um, and put in their rightful place the, the, the established stars of Novak and Roger and Rafa and Andy Murray. But, um, you know, for the longevity of the sport, hopefully some new stars start emerging and they become household names. And I think the household names, um, to some degree, is, is what helps um, get new fans in, get younger uh, younger players that are watching and, and excited about the game. So we do our best to really uh, promote all the all the, the players. But uh, I think for the Miami Open, one of the biggest things we always try to do, and we are one of the first, is, is uh, preaching the equality among genders and, and make sure that we, we're promoting the women as much as we're promoting the men, um, sometimes even more so, depending on who's playing well that year, who's uh, selling tickets, and, and who's, um, who's on the court that, at that time. So um, we always want to make sure that we're, we're promoting the sport in general and, and, uh, and both sexes. You talk about the need for new stars to emerge. Mm-hmm. I mean, your playing career followed that wonderful generation of mm-hmm. Agassi, Sampras, Korea, Chang, Martin. Yep. To what extent is it different? Is it difficult to try and establish yourself as a star when you're following yeah. a good generation? Because today's young Americans are following your generation. You, Roddick. Yeah. Fish, yeah, and, and I think that it's um, it's a dangerous uh, game for, for a lot of the media to, to compare because, um, you know, they were so hard, I feel like, on Andy and myself and Marty to say, when are you going to all be the next Sampras, the next Agassi? And then for this generation, well, when are you going to be the next Roddick? Uh, and they almost took for granted that we had two guys in the top ten for a good chunk of our careers, and myself and Andy Roddick, and Andy right near the top of the game or at the top of the game for so long. So to have now no Americans inside the top 30 for a little spell here that's that's um it's not it's not fun to see as as an american male um you want to see a lot of success but it'll go in cycles and there'll be times when they're having a lot of success but there's plenty of competition among other sports uh, a lot of young uh young players in in the states going to, to other sports going to basketball going to football going to baseball or even hockey so um, I think having someone break through, which the next step might be in America, might be Sebastian Corda. Um, it, it's it, that will be big to getting more and more fans involved. If he can go deep in a slam, um, I think that'll really help uh, help the sport in general. 
And as a tournament director, you obviously want the best people and mm-hmm. Federer Nadal Djokovic has been the, the meal ticket for the mm-hmm. last few years. Who's mm-hmm. going to be the meal ticket in three, four years' time? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think Tsitsipas for one, Medvedev, and I, I mean, being an American, I, I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, with Korda as well. Um, I think they'll have uh, plenty of opportunities. Team will still be there, but um, you never know. Three or four years, it might still be Rafa and Novak. Uh, it'd be tough to see to see Roger in four years playing at 43, but uh, but we'll see. And on the women's side, I mean, Coco Golf right now is um, is already starting to emerge as an absolute international superstar. Um, I mean, I don't see uh, I don't see Ash Barty slowing down anytime soon, and and I really hope and and uh, and wish Naomi Osaka to be healthy and back on on the court because she's absolutely a, a superstar as well. And finally, I know being a tournament director is not quite as exciting as being a player out there, <laughs> but does it run it a close second? Yeah, I mean, I. I, I I always know I'm extremely lucky uh, for one to be lucky enough to go to work in a t-shirt and shorts and play a game for a living for 14 years. Uh, absolutely incredible. Count my blessings every day that I was able to get as much as I did out of my body, but then to take some time off and away from the sport and then realize how much you love the sport and uh, want to be a part of it. How can I do that without being a player anymore? Um, absolutely. It's second, uh, you know, it's, it's about second place to be able to be a torrent director and then a commentator and, and be around the sport that I love and has given me so much. I'm, I'm happy to still be around it and, and fortunate that I've gotten these opportunities. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Wrapping up here on the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast with Leif Shiras. Leif, we talked about the, the different challenges this year, this world presents. Is it harder just to win a tournament based on what these players are going through, whether it's different restrictions in different places, travel's a little bit more complicated. Does that make actually winning matches in tournaments harder? Very good question. I, I think it probably does. Uh, maybe in some small way it keeps the players a little more focused. <laughs> maybe they have fewer distractions that life can bring you. These guys are such talented young men, and for the women too on the tour. You, you feel like they're going in the right direction. Things are starting to open up. So the possibilities are limitless. I think, are we seeing the gradual loosening at the top of the game, which is opening more possibilities for young players? I think so. Uh, if it's not going to happen down the stretch this year, maybe next year in 2022. So all of these things are adding up to a pretty compelling finish to the tennis season with opportunities for these young guys. Can Novak and Rafa, you know, can these established players hang on as long as they hope to hang on? So. It seems like it's a really good time for men's tennis. And um, I hope we can put a lot of these pandemic days behind us. I think we're all going in the right direction. I hope we are. And we can do this all together. But, um, yeah, I I think it's going to be fun. This North American hardcourt summer really heating up. So that'll be it from here in Washington. Big thanks to Leif Shires. And you can join us next weekend for another podcast where, of course, we'll be taking a look at the National Bank Open presented by Rogers. And in the meantime, you can listen to live coverage of that tournament, that Masters 1000 event. You check out the 24-7 ATP Tennis Radio live channel on TuneIn or the ATP website. And you've got ball-by-ball commentary of the National Bank Open presented by Rogers. Thanks for listening, everybody. 